0: Welcome to Get Your Book Seen and Sold. I am your host, Claudine Wolk. You can find me at my Substack account, claudinewolk.substack.com. We're talking all about publishing and book marketing. If you have decided that you want to write a book and you're trying to figure out how to publish it, or maybe you've already written a book and you're trying to figure out how to market it, this is the podcast slash Substack for you. Our goal is to give you great tips, by example in some cases, to help you get your book seen and sold. So join us through the newsletter or the podcast today and get your book seen and sold. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star rating. Welcome to Get Your Book Seen and Sold. I am Claudine Walk, your host. With us today is Linda Wisniewski. She is a writer, author, a memoir teacher. Yay! We're so excited to have her because she's actually done what I get so many questions about, and that is write a memoir. So I thought, she has two books, by the way, Where the Stork Flies, which is fiction, and Off Kilter, which is the name of her memoir. You can find her at her website, lyndawis.com. Thanks so much for being with us, Linda.
1: Oh, thanks. My pleasure.
0: Yay! Okay. So I was recently able to come to your class, which right. was fabulous, in, uh, at the Pearl S. Buck uh, Foundation
1: House, yeah. house
0: uh, yeah. in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And it was so much fun to, to be with you and your authors. So I'm so excited to have you today because we want to ask you all about being a memoirist. You know, what does that that mean and you actually teach a class on that. So, one of my first questions was what what stage are the writers at who take your class and want to be memoirists?
1: Most, I would say more than half are just beginning to write anything at all and most of them are people who have been journaling for a long time. A lot of us keep personal journals starting when we're little girls. It's mostly girls that do it. Um, But I do have men in my class as well, and they are curious about getting their stories on the page and sharing them with other people. I do have some experienced writers, but most of them are beginners.
0: Okay. So how do you get them? Like Your course, for example, it goes over months or weeks and then –
1: Yeah, it goes. um, I've done a course maybe six to eight weeks in a row. The one that you attended was once a month for six months. And then in between, we keep in touch online. Um, I share readings with them to discuss about memoir writing, and they share their pieces with each other. They give each other feedback. So I also teach them how to give and receive feedback for your writing.
0: So there, there's a way to do that, to give and receive feedback?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> tell us yeah. more, tell us more, Linda, because, you know, there's been a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of, especially on, uh, I read on Substack and they have a nice community over there. And we, we talk about that a lot, how it's so hard to receive criticism and what criticism is truly helpful and what is maybe not so nice.
1: Right, right. So constructive, always constructive. Um, The things that we write in class, we do write in class, usually three exercises, and they're all rough drafts. So I tell them right from the beginning, they are rough drafts, so we're not gonna make any comment on the writing. It's more about um, the topic. What do you wanna know more about from the person? What don't you understand? What do you think would be more clear? Now, when we do the in-between class, Online critiques, I uh, I suggest that they can do a little bit more in-depth because this is not necessarily a rough draft. So then you can make more comments about the writing or suggestions. But I am very clear. I don't think that there's any help in giving someone destructive, negative feedback. It doesn't really help. If you see something that you don't like or you think they could do better, then just the best way to do that is just to say – you might wanna try doing it another way. And this is my suggestion. I think um, even giving negative, so-called negative negative feedback can be helpful because it makes you think about how you would write this piece. So in, in addition to giving suggestions to people, it makes you think about the writing and about your own writing. Did I answer that?
0: <laughs> you did. I'm just there's a, there's a lot that you said there because I guess yeah, when you're yeah. writing when you're doing a memoir yeah. class there's so many different ways that you can go with it any writing right. class really. Um, right. But as the as the student in your class you're doing both you're you're writing and then you're sharing and then you're you're also giving feedback to someone else.
1: Right, and in the class it's immediately right then in the moment. Ah, so, okay. So we're all working on one exercise. It might be about writing about a character in your life. And so they're all writing roughly in the same direction. And that helps, I think. But I've been in some groups that um are not helpful. And people get damaged by those groups that can be negative and just give up writing. And I think that's so sad. I think that One thing to remember is if someone's giving you negative feedback, it's their issue. It's where they're coming from. It doesn't necessarily um, mean that they're right. I suggest taking some time, maybe a day or two, before you decide to incorporate their comments into your work. You don't have to make every change that someone suggests. I don't think it's helpful to rewrite someone else's story. So sometimes in feedback, people will say, well, this is how this is how I would have said that. And I think that's, and that still happens to me when I send pieces out for a submission. You know, an editor will come back and say, well, why don't you say it like this? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not helpful. That's not my voice, that's yours. Right. So if you want me to um, mention this character earlier in the story, just say, Linda mentioned this character earlier in the story. Right. But don't um, put your own, you know, don't write it for me because I know how to write. And we all basically know how to write. You know, we're just learning to write better, um, more appealing to and more clearly to our audience if we're writing for an audience.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I had one author. um, I don't know if you know Kelly Simons. She's also local to Bucks County.
1: Oh, sure. I know Kelly. Okay. She's fabulous. Yeah, she's great. When I
0: interviewed her, she mentioned that in terms of negative feedback, if she heard it from, you know, maybe five or six people, she might give it some credence. (laughs) And that's that's kind of a good rule, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, uh, okay. So the other part of memoir writing, I think, is is that you're – sharing something that's so incredibly personal. And I'm wondering if they get to it in your class or not, or is it something that kind of develops later that they're deciding what it is that's the main focus of their memoir? Do you help them with that?
1: Yeah, I do, absolutely. Um, So it is incredibly personal and I had a hard time myself finding what my theme was. Um, I didn't realize I was writing a memoir and did not have an intention of (laughs) writing a memoir. I was writing personal essays. And one of my um, essays was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. And I was very excited about that and shared it with some of my teachers, one of whom said, you should turn this into a memoir. Mm. And it was like one page long. So
0: (laughs) congratulations, by the way. That's fabulous. Thanks. Thanks. Really?
1: Thank you. I'm um, yeah, I'm, I'm very honored by that, but you know, one page, uh, I can't turn this into a book, forget it. So I just kept, um, working and I did multiple versions of, um, topics that was, seemed to be related to me and they were related. And so I found that in my writing, I had three, main subjects. I was writing a lot about my mother. I was writing a lot about my Polish heritage and I was writing a lot about my scoliosis. So I took the titles of all the essays and I took, um, colored post-it notes and I flagged those with the color so I could see what my theme was, which who had the most colors. Mm. And that's how I, um, came up with my theme, I use the scoliosis as a metaphor. So curvatures of your spine, curved, curves in life that life throws at you, um, positive and negative things about uh, being Polish, um, about the history of that. And you're, you can do that with any ethnicity. And my relationship with my mother, which was also full of lots of curve, curve balls and twists and turns. So I tell them to just write some people do have a theme in mind when they start but a lot of people don't so i say just write what is calling to you what you really want to write about and i do give them different exercises to work on if they need help with that but after you've written 10 or 12 pieces i think you start to see what the theme is because it's what's drawing you to write what has the most emotion and energy behind it Hmm.
0: So you're saying that in your book, for example, and the name of your um, memoir is Off-Kilter, that you had one theme, but you had maybe three different other stories that you were kind of bringing in?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Neat. Okay. That's, exactly. that's yeah. a great And yeah. I love the post-it note idea. Yeah. yeah, I love color. I love using color yeah. to kind of separate yeah. ideas. I love that.
1: That's such yeah, a- and, you know, we're in our heads a lot as writers, so to have a visual representation of that I think is really helpful.
0: Absolutely. So are there students maybe that, and you don't have to name names, <laughs> that you um, say you, you're you sharing too much? Is there is there a point in a memoir where you can share too much, or is that not such a thing?
1: It depends on the person. Um Yes, I think you can. But well, let me back up with that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say there can be too much. Now, there are some very personal, emotional, upsetting memoirs that get published. But the writer is so good at telling the story and her word choice that it's okay. Um, It's not too much for the a person who wants to read it if a person wants to read about sexual abuse for example if they have that experience or they want to know more about it it's not too much to write in detail about it but it's it may be too much for you as a writer if it's sending you back into that place you don't want to re-traumatize yourself so if you find that's happening um it's good to back off maybe talk to someone professional about it um a therapist um i when i have the difficult lessons in my class we write about grief and loss i always tell them to go out and get an ice cream afterwards (laughs) 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 or just do something you know do something nice for yourself don't push yourself right um
0: right
1: yeah i mean i know writers um a writer friend of mine um wrote about her sister's death from cystic fibrosis and it, it just was really hard for her it took her many years to write it and she cried a lot and um, but she turned out with a a really beautiful book so she knew when she was going too far and if there are people who feel like it's too much well they don't have to read it
0: right exactly they
1: don't have to criticize they don't need to criticize you for, for going there right you're so wise linda uh, uh.
0: You are. No, seriously, you are. I mean, because, so I've interviewed memoirists who wrote about affairs in their marriage, and then went on to write other fiction books. And I was such a fan of the memoirs that I wanted to talk to them about the memoir as well as the new book that was out. Mm-hmm and i found they didn't want to talk about it. It was almost yeah. like <laughs> once it was out, yeah. They wrote at the time, you know, about the situation and they'd moved past it. So they really didn't want to revisit it. So i'm wondering if you've ever mm. come into, you know, and again it's a, it's a really yeah. sensitive thing if they're sure. on new relationships and they're in a, in a happy relationship, do they really want to go back and revisit, you know, what was yeah. so Personal.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, if that's the case, just write it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people do that. It's a practice. Um, artists, you know, write paintings and never, or yeah, artists paint paintings and never see the light of day. So why do we have to publish everything? We don't. But if you have published it, um, then you must want people to read it and talk about it. Um, but it's your prerogative, you know, as the author. Yeah, um, There are things in my memoir that I think I would change. You know, it came out a long time ago. Um, and if I were to do it again, I would leave some things out. Um, I did change quite a few names, but um, people in my family know who they are. So, um, yeah, you know, there it, there was a little fuss uh, about that when it came out. Well, that was
0: actually going to be my next question. How much do you have to get your family ready for and friends for, you know, they're being discussed in the book.
1: Yeah. Um you don't have to at all. It's your story, you know. So, um you know, there's a famous quote from Anne Lamott. um she says your story is your sto- is your story. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. Oh Wow. So.
0: <laughs> Let that one sink in, folks. That's true. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. And it, it gets quoted a lot when we start worrying about what Aunt Mabel will think. But by the same token, you don't want to intentionally hurt people. Maybe you do, but <laughs> you know it's not a good thing to do, especially not on the page. Um, I don't advise... Showing people your your book before you're done or before you're published, Some teachers do advise that, so that has to be your decision. Um, getting them ready. you know, surprisingly, family members don't all buy your book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, is so, of, that is so true. that
1: is so true. That is and, so true. And, and those that do, they pass it around. Right. So, you know, all the cousins might have read, read this one copy. Thanks right. a lot, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> right. Hello, you could support me by purchasing the book yourself. Yes.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm not the right person to talk about getting them ready because I didn't really do that. Um I had already published some personal memoir pieces in different li- literary magazines and I had shared them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, so they did have some comments about my writing, you know, um, there was, there's not anything really horrible in my book. Let, let me say that. Um, there's no affairs or, well, actually there is one affair, um, <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't me. And, um, yeah, so well, okay, I guess I should tell you that story. That was the worst thing that happened. Um there was an affair that happened in nineteen thirty seven ish. My book came out in two thousand eight. Yes. The people are are gone.
0: Right. Did they but did the family know?
1: No. Oh. And I thought I thought they did. Oh I some, love it. Some did and some didn't. And it was a very It was like two lines in my book, and it was to illustrate something about my mother when she told me about this affair. So it wasn't about the people. I didn't use their names, but the woman who had the affair, her daughter was upset. Okay. She, she didn't know. Okay. So if I had it to do again, I could have left those two lines out.
0: Right, right. Well, that that's very interesting.
1: Yeah. But it never, it never occurred to me. I mean, this was so long ago, and I thought, and I didn't use her name, and I thought everybody knew, and it was really about my mother and my relationship with her and my mother telling me this story. So sometimes, you know, you're so close to it that you can lose sight of that. So I always say, you know, there's no heroes and no villains. We're all human. So even though it's your story and the story is about you, um, don't make yourself to be totally perfect. You make yourself vulnerable on the page and hmm. um, share your mistakes as well as your successes because people want to know how you overcame things. And the people who are the villains in your life or you see that way, try to find some redeeming characteristics, try to figure out or find out why they acted that way. And... Don't try, you don't try to make all your characters the same, but if they have done things that hurt you, maybe give them a little bit of um, positive spin. Spin. Yeah, thanks. Spin. That's a good word. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: yeah, I think that's where the juice is, you know, when the human and the frailty and like you say, everybody makes mistakes. And I think that's where people can relate. And I think that's that makes a great memoir. And that's why I read them. I mean, I find Mm -hmm. memoirs more interesting than fiction sometimes, a lot of times, Um, Mm -hmm. especially in the you know t- true crime genre which you get a lot of memoir and true crime and mm-hmm. um we're all just trying to figure out how to do this and you know to my i'm always trying to figure out okay well what's a better way or what you know what's not mm-hmm. the right way and and those are all the yeah. things that I love to learn so without the truth yikes you know no matter what it is
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, i think it's important to share
1: yeah and I think it's it's very important to show your mistakes and things that didn't work as well because it shows you too are human and people are reading that and figuring, well, if she could get out of that one, then, you know, maybe I could too.
0: Right, right. And yeah. what did what did she learn? You know, what did she take away? Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, yeah. I found that um, around... The time of the 9-11 attacks in the United States, there were a lot of people calling their parents who, were, if they were still alive and asking them about Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. because it was a similar scary situation. Um, and they wanted to know if they were scared, too. And the parents all said, yeah, we mm-hmm. were. <laughs> yep,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, because it was a personal, you know, attack on the United States. So um, that's why I encourage people who've lived through things like that to write it down. Yep. And talk about, we were scared, you know, our friends were scared. This is how we handled it. This is who we called. Because that, that's all useful. Um, your story is useful for future generations, for sure.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so one other uh, question they had for you about your journal and your, I'm sorry, your memoir and... um you're writing it and then marketing it. So how how was it to market your memoirs or anything that you can share specifically about marketing it that you found worked for you? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've totally put you on the spot, Linda.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's, hard, it's really hard to know what works. Um, you kind of try to do everything. Amen. Um, my publisher was really good about giving me materials. So she made a lot of... Um, templates for me to use uh, with pictures and um, for example, she had me write a tip sheet on how to write a memoir and I know you can't see this but um, she formatted my words and it has my contact information on the bottom and then it has her contact information how to buy the book uh, phone numbers, how many pages ISBN number for bookstores who want to order it. So I think that kind of thing is helpful. Make it as easy as possible for bookstores and libraries to order your book. Right. Um, I think that word of mouth, people say, is the best way to sell books. But what does that mean? You know, where do you go? How many talks do you give? So I teach, so people are interested in that. Um, and they look for my memoir. I have spoken at conferences, at writing conferences. Um, I have spoken at hospitals um, about the health benefits of writing your memoir. Um, I've done podcasts, um, book blog tours, which is where you contact bloggers, um, book Book bloggers, that's a whole thing, people that just write about new books. And they interview you online, um, so that's another good one.
0: Yep, that sounds... But yeah,
1: I, I'm not sure, I don't know what really works. I think... Um,
0: <laughs> no one does.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's we're, still hard. Trying, we're always trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. we just
0: yeah. Throw, yeah. throw a bunch of things at the wall and hope they hope they stick. They stick, yeah. Well, one thing yeah. that you said that was interesting um, was the health benefits of
1: journaling. Yeah.
0: Can you speak to so, that a little
1: bit? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I I tell I share this in my classes too. Um, so back in um, the 90s, when the modern memoir was getting so popular, um, man named James Pennebaker at the University of Texas in Austin did a research study in which he asks three groups of students in three separate rooms to write. So the first group, he asked them to write about something emotionally affecting whether, you know, it could be something like um, your dog died when you were 10, or your girlfriend broke up with you yesterday. So it could be years ago or current. Then the second group, he asked the group, the students to write a diary, like how, you know, about your day, what are you doing, but not so emotional. Um, And then the third group, he had them just sitting, I don't know, read magazines or whatever. They were the control group. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like with a drug trial, they don't get the drug, so these kids just, you know, they the, were in a room. The placebos. The placebos. There you go. So after they did this for um, twenty minutes a day for four days in a row, and then they had the, their blood tested, and they found that the students in the group that wrote about the emotionally affecting events their um, T cells in their blood increase. These are the hmm. um, white blood cells that uh, fight off disease, immune diseases. Mm-hmm. I, I, obviously I'm not a scientist, so. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> um, yeah, but they, um, they're they good, they're fighter cells. They're good things to have. And they went way up um, and they stayed up for six weeks after the experiment. So then he started doing it with people um, that had arthritis and heart issues, and he found that for all his groups, the ones that wrote about emotional events had um, lower blood pressure, um, better breathing capacity, and the same thing. The results stayed elevated for six weeks. Wow. So he ended up writing a book about it. It's called Opening Up. Interesting. And Yeah, so it's it's very interesting. It's about how... Even if you don't show that writing to another person, you don't publish it, you don't um, read it aloud. But the fact that or even read it again, but the fact that you do it just for yourself to get that emotion out on the page has these physical health benefits,
0: yeah. And I think people maybe intuitively know that, but it's nice to know that there's scientific research behind it and and more of a mm-hmm. reason. To write things down, whether you're going to write a book or not.
1: Absolutely.
0: But earlier in the interview, you said that a lot of people who take your class, they start with their journals. Mm -hmm. Do they bring their journals to class or do they?
1: They do. We don't really use them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good starting point.
1: Yeah, it is a good starting point. Yes. Yeah. And I, I encourage them to keep journaling in between classes and take the exercises home and do them again with a different event or a different topic. So um, they're all starting points that I give them, but um, they can rework them in their journal for sure.
0: Right, yeah. right. So your second book is a fiction book, and it's called Where the Stork Flies. Um, tell us about that and how that came to be developed and written.
1: Okay, so here's another book that I didn't realize I was writing. <laughs> um, so what happened was, I went to a family reunion in upstate New York, and one of my cousins had a family tree that she had made of the whole my father's whole side of the family that went back as far as 1778. A woman that was born in Eastern Europe in Poland. It, It wasn't Poland at the time, but it was um, the Austrian Empire. But anyway, she was born in 1778. And so all the women were fascinated by this woman. Her name was Regina. And we are like, I wonder what you would think of our lives today. So different from the 1770s. Wow, we have cars. We have TV, you know, so... I just couldn't get that out of my head. So I tried to do some research and find out more about her and I couldn't I just got her dates and her children's names and, and that so and then I I did a little research about that area of the world in that time period. And I realized that they were peasant, they were serfs. Basically, they didn't own any land, not even their house, you know, they they were all beholden to the landlord. So I decided I had a lot to say about that. And so I was gonna turn it in into fiction. And then I thought, you know, the question my cousins and I had, what would she think of our lives today? Well, in order for her to see that, she'd have to time travel. Oh. So that's that was the seed of that.
0: Nice. And it was
1: it was a lot of fun to write.
0: That's awesome. So did it come to you quickly that you were able to get it all down pretty quick?
1: Um, Pretty much, yeah. I got a lot down. Um, I learned to write fiction with a plot, which I really didn't. I thought I knew, but I didn't. And I shared it with my writing group. And they were kind of looking at each other like, shall we tell her? (laughs) No. But um, they helped me a lot because I had a lot of stuff in there. You know, you do a lot of research and even in a memoir, you want to tell a story, you put all these facts in there. But when you want a cohesive plot, especially in fiction, um, and even in memoir, you don't need everything.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, so they helped me make the story flow. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a gal on who's a developmental editor. And she explained how they can help uh, with those types of things. So it sounds like they were acting as your little developmental editors there. Um, and, and some yeah. authors, um, I just read a book by Robert Degoni, um called The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell. And I've heard of it. It's so good. It. It's really good. And he also in his, I'm, I'm, I'm a big acknowledgements girl. I always like to read the page, the acknowledgements page. And he, I think he had two or three developmental editors because this was kind of a new genre mm-hmm. for him, the literary fiction. Yeah. He, he was more yeah. of a serial you know, type mm-hmm. um, author. Anyway, so very important. So you were able yes. to complete that. And yes. and how did you find the marketing of your, your literary fiction over memoir? Was there a difference? Or the publishing process, I should say?
1: Um, the publishing process was not too different, because I used two very small publishers. I did not have an agent. Um, so I went directly to two very small publishers. And So the process was very similar. It took about a year and a half for the book to come out from the time that I gave it to them. And um, I have to do still most of the marketing, even, you know, for this current book. But what the difference is between 2008 and 2021 is that there's a lot more almost entirely online um, avenues for marketing your book. So there's a lot of uh, Facebook and Instagram and Someone even made me a TikTok video (laughs) (laughs) with music of my book. Um, So it's, again, you try to do everything that people suggest and you see what works and you don't really know. So um, the only difference I would say is the technology and the Internet.
0: Got it. And do, do you speak on the subject of that book or write articles? You mentioned earlier how you'll you'll write pieces and submit them to magazines yeah. as well. Were yeah. there pieces written on that topic as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have I have done that. I'm going to be doing a uh, reading from probably from that book um, with a piece called The Arts and Cultural Council of Bucks County um, at the Lower Southampton Library in Beesterville next month. Nice. So, with a group of other writers, so that's another avenue. Yeah, and I um, some of the scenes in in the memoir and the novel take place in my hometown in Upstate New York, so I did go up there and did a few events up there, which was fun.
0: Absolutely. Now, how do your cousins feel about this book? <laughs> <laughs> Have they read
1: it? <laughs> Good. Good question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I'm not going to ask because I don't want to hear <laughs> the answer. No. I don't know. Don't count on your family. Sh- I'll say that. That's don't count right. on your family. That's right. My, That's right. A lot of my friends, a lot of my friends have read it.
0: That's so funny. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, Meg Olders is another author that I um, talk a lot to and she's been on the show. She's um on Substack and she wrote a young young adult novel and she, she's so funny. She just says, like, what's the use of having friends and family if they're not gonna buy buy your book? Like, what yeah, the heck? Yeah. Come on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well I think most people don't understand how um just because your book is published, it's not on the shelf and on the same level as Robert Dugoni oh, right. or Stephen King, you know. <laughs> um people have to know about it. So even if they don't buy it, if they just talk about it, if they write reviews on amazon um, yes even you know give it some stars and it's just yes. a couple of sentences you don't have to write a fancy book review just write right. a couple of sentences about why you liked it i find that very helpful goodreads reviews um linkedin um i, I write a blog in a newsletter and i connect it to all these different social media places so um, I have made contacts there as well. Yeah,
0: and I think you. But can. I'm always you... looking
1: for new ways. Oh, you know, absolutely. New things to try.
0: Yeah, but try not to get um, overwhelmed. Like I'm fine. I'm. I'm yeah. still marketing. Get your book seen and sold. And it's oh my gosh, oh, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And I, and I, you know, I've been at this for over a year now. So I had what I was going to do pre pub, and now mm-hmm. that I'm in post pub. I I started to keep a little book called The Idea Journal because it just Mm -hmm. had to get it out of my head. And who knows if I'll ever go back, you know, and do it. And you you just don't know what's going to hit. Sometimes the popcorn pops and sometimes it doesn't.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you got to keep just throwing at the wall. But so far in this interview, you've mentioned so many things that you've done uh, that – Enhance your author platform, which is some, mm-hmm. a new term to some authors. So, um, author platform is all the all the things that you bring to the table in order to promote your book uh, from a personal standpoint. So, you, you've talked about writing a blog, speaking. You're you're going to different uh, libraries. You're you're also submitting articles to different uh, publications. You're also a writing teacher, so you're doing all of these things. To
1: indie the, indie the bookstores, mm-hmm. independent bookstores um, are good to approach because they are often looking for events to bring customers into their store. Yep. So I've gone to several local bookstores and done readings, and they provide the the venue, the chairs, and the cookies, and you know all that, and that's great because you people like to meet writers face to face. So and that can be fun for everyone. The other thing I wanted to share before I forget. That I found was very helpful is an uh, online Zoom. I, I think I'm pretty sure it's on Zoom. It's called the Writer's Bridge. Okay, and it's a couple of women writers um, who. It's it's not just for women, but it just happens to be the majority of the people who participate. And their premise is that a platform is a box that you stand on and yell at people. <laughs> Buy my book, buy my book. And a bridge is connecting to your readers. So being very conscious of who needs your book, who would like to read your book and connecting with them. And they have a free, I don't want to call it a pod. Maybe it's a podcast, but um, it's video and audio. And it's every two weeks. And I don't remember the website, but if people look up the writer's bridge, and the woman who runs it now is called Alison Williams, I found a lot of good ideas there. It's very helpful.
0: I love that. And uh, that brings me to another topic. Thank you. I'm going to look into them and hopefully have them on the show because um, I love that idea, too. The bridge is, yeah, is much yeah. more understandable, I think. And it, it's yeah, and not
1: so overwhelming. Right, right. You know, you're just trying to connect with people. That's it. I
0: I yeah. think it's the def. I say it's a person, definition person. of book marketing, is mm-hmm. really just connecting your book with your author. That's it. So whatever yeah. you can do to do that, um, but because of all these things out there that are possible to do, just want to get your opinion as someone who's experienced and has been in the publishing industry for a very long time. How do you find some of the not so nice folks out there who are just trying to make money from authors?
1: Oh, I I think that is so sad. Um, how do you tell who's who's doing that? Yes. Ah, oh, good question. Um, first tip is how much money they want from you <laughs> from the get go. <clears throat> so. Get very clear on what they're offering you for your money and try to get references, people who've used them. um, Ask for um, people who find that they're um, successful. Uh, I used a book blogger, marketer. I'm not sure what she's called, (laughs) but she connected me with a, um, a blog tour hmm. So before I hired her, I asked her for references and she gave me the names of two authors and I talked to them and I I asked them if they thought it was worthwhile. Um, and of course, nobody knows. Right. Um, we don't know. If people read your blog and then run out and buy your book. You know, you, don't, you really don't know. But I got good answers from the two of them. They were happy with her work. So I definitely do that. Um, if they call it your due diligence. Um, there's another site called Writers Beware Online. And these people are very good at collecting the scam, names of the scam artists. Um, first of all, there are so many different ways to publish and self-publish now. Um, so don't give money to someone who wants to be your agent or who says they can help you publish your book. They're, that's not necessary. They make their money when they get the book published from the, uh, the publication of it. So be very wary before you give money to anybody for any of these um marketing there's a lot of marketing gimmicks.
0: Yes. Did you uh, want to did you want to share the name of the um blog tour person? I can't remember. Oh. I I <laughs> well, if you think of it, we'll put it in the yeah. show notes cuz cuz authors are really they're always looking for vetted yeah. ways to promote their book that are reasonably priced.
1: Yeah. Yeah, This just like a couple of years ago. So I'll yeah. I'll look it up for you. Yeah. Um, if she's still in business because things change so Gosh, fast. Gosh, they do. Gosh, they do. But it's, you know, if your heart and soul into your book and yep. your, your time. And I just think it's so sad that people are trying to make money without really giving you the help that they promise or that you need. So just be very careful and get get references. Ask who else they've helped and check them out. Yep.
0: I love that. I love that you start with the money that they're charging you. And also just read any contract anybody hands you, regardless of what you're doing. But uh, the money is so important. And I think if you start out maybe just thinking about, and I know it's scary, I know it's scary, but just, okay, how much money do I, whether you're with a publisher or not, as Linda said, you're gonna have to market your book. So how much money am I really willing to put into this? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about, you know, you take somebody's idea and you say, okay, it's going to cause, let's say your whole budget's going to be, you know, $2,500 and they want 2000 Well, that's all your budget. So right. maybe take another look. There's another author out there, um, Joan Price, and I've done an interview with her for um, my Stories and Strategies for Women podcast that I'm not doing anymore, by the way, so don't go there. Stay on Get Your Book Seed and Sold podcast. Um, <laughs> but I am going to bring it over there, the recording. But anyway, she wrote a uh, a book, uh, Sex After 60. And it's a fabulous book. And she's written all <laughs> kinds of sex books. I mean, she's, she's fantastic. And, and health and, and, and exercise and all kinds of different things. But anyway, she wrote an article for ASJA, that organization. And it mm-hmm. was how to lose $2,500 of publicity money in one s- spot, you know. And, and it was that that was the lesson. It was, you know, hey, you gotta. You really have to vet how you're going to spend the money up front. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's an easy way to do it. How much is your total that you're really willing to put in? Yeah. And if you have any idea, you know, how much money is enough, I mean, it's, it's so hard to say. Everybody wants to get their message out, but to turn mm-hmm. a profit, you know, you got to take your book price, take at mm-hmm. least 50% off, you know, maybe even more if you're with a traditional publisher and then mm-hmm. divide that into you know the number of uh, or the amount of money that you you want to put out for publicity to figure out how many books you're going to have to sell to make that up
1: that's a great point have a budget from the from the beginning know how much you're willing to spend before you start because i did i had a budget after i realized i was putting out <laughs> so this much there that much there so that's that's really important the other thing i wanted to mention is the authors guild um, it's an organization that has um, lawyers that will read your contract for mm, free. Um, wow! So yeah, so if you, it, it's for authors, so you you need to have, I think, at least one book out. Mm-hmm. But um, they they have information on their website that you can look at, even if you're not a member and you're just beginning. Yes. So that's a good resource as well.
0: Yes. Okay, two more questions for you. So the one is, how much time would you say you spend on book marketing versus writing? (laughs) And all the other things you're doing on your platform.
1: Yeah. Probably (laughs) in the beginning, in the the beginning, when the book first came out, of course, you really, as one of my writer friends... um, said, market the hell out of it. <laughs> so, so a lot. It's more, at the, in the beginning, it's everything. It's all of the, the time that you're devoting to your business is marketing. And that includes writing articles and blog posts that are adjacent to your book on that topic of your book. Um, and then, you know, writing the next book has to come in at some point if you want to continue. So... I think, you know, if you're asking the the time that I spent writing, was it comparable to the time that I spent marketing? Yeah, definitely. I spent more time uh, writing the book. Okay. But that's because it's what I enjoy. You know, I like writing. I like crafting a good sentence, a good paragraph.
0: And that so, leads right please. into that leads right into my next question, which is that's so funny that you said that you, earlier in the interview. You, you mentioned the importance of word choice as a writer, and I know we're going back and forth, but I find that fascinating. Like when you are teaching memoir, and maybe you're get, you're getting to the point where you're critiquing the writer. Um, how how do you point that out to them a lot? Like pick another word here or.
1: Not in that direct way. (laughs) But yes, um, we talk about things like uh, concrete details. I I tell them to use instead of a car, say if it was a Ford or a Subaru or an SUV. Um, I talk about significant details, which are the details that are loaded with emotion. So for example, if you are in a hospital room and with a relative who's very sick, then the walls are probably puke green, you know, (laughs) or snot green or whatever. Right. And but if you're in a a room that you're waiting to, um, you know, it's a dressing room that you're waiting to step out into your wedding. um, It's a lovely apple green, Mm. you know, so that those are what we call significant details. So those are the choices that we make in revision. So I always say, get the story on the page first, or Anna calls it the shitty first draft, <laughs> because you can't do anything with nothing, right? So get that on the page, nobody else needs to see it, and then go over it and see if you can make these better word choices.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think um, I love that. I just kind of, I, I end up buying books just about words don't exactly yeah. know how to use them. I'm not a fiction writer for sure, but um, <laughs> it's just fascinating. And I can cer- I yeah. think, I'd like to say, that I can recognize it, you know, in, in different books that I read. I'm like, wow, that was so great, the way they used sure. that word or that yeah. phrase and really painted a picture. That's awesome. Okay, so how yeah. can people, again, your two books are Where the Stork Flies, and that is the fiction book and Off-Kilter. They're both available for sale wherever you buy books. Uh, Linda is... Uh, can be found at her website, lindawis, in Sam, dot com. I'll have that information in the show notes. And um, if they want to sign up for your class, where do they find you and how often do you run it? I think you mentioned it earlier in the interview.
1: Yeah, the, the class is um, once or twice a year. Um, it's been twice a year now. And so I'm done for um, 2023. I don't have the dates yet for 2024, but they will be on my website.
0: Okay, great, and that that would still probably be at the Proles Buck House And do they yes. and do they um, also show it there on their site?
1: They do. Um, it might be we might be doing it on Zoom next year. Oh, fun! So we can get we have got people from all over the area and outside um, using the Zoom website. They can um, also find out by signing up for my newsletter which is available on my website as well. I just started on Substack, so that's going to be an adventure.
0: <laughs> oh, I, love, I can't wait to bring you into Substack. So many nice people there. You're going to love it.
1: Oh, good. You're
0: going gonna to love it. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll put that in maybe next year when you're when be right before your classes start, you'll come back on and we can chat about that again and, and make sure Great. people know how to sign up.
1: Fabulous. Terrific. Love to.
0: Linda, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Sure. I I love talking to you.
0: (laughs) Me too. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. And you are listening to Get Your Book Seen and Sold. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, share the podcast episode with a fellow author or leave a review. Just scroll down to the bottom of the show details while on your app, and you'll see the review option. Thanks in advance for your support. Remember... My new book, Get Your Book Seen and Sold, the essential book marketing and publishing guide written with co-author Julie Marquette is on sale today wherever you buy books. It's your personal guide and resource to get your book seen and sold.